friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 36 of the MC Lars podcast. It is May 6, 2019. We are on a day off. I'm on the Mount Nerdcore tour with Mega Ran, MC Frontalot, and Schaefer, the Dark Lord. The tour's been great. We started out in Chicago. We drove to Fargo, and we've been coming east, and it's been great, great turnouts. People are loving the new songs. We're debuting a lot of songs from the Dewey Decibel system, doing all sorts of collabs, and it's just cool to be part of this small, weird <laughs> niche of music that keeps surviving. Anyone who supports me on Patreon who comes to the show uh, gets a free T-shirt. I've got two new songs coming out this month. I got a song about Jack the Ripper and a song called How to Train Your Yoshi. Patreon.com slash MCLars for that flavor. And uh, you get access to the whole back catalog and the new stuff. It's a great deal. It's very easy to sign up. I want to thank the new supporters who have recently signed up, Jimothy, Joseph, and Graham. And I want to thank some of the old supporters, Jonathan, Anthony, and Justin. Thank you all. You keep the podcast going. Keep the songs going. You keep the MC Lars flavor going. And uh, I don't have ads on this podcast. I never will. But if you like it, please support the Patreon if you want. Uh, let me tell you about the shows we've got coming up. The tour is about, we got two more weeks left. I'm in Rochester, May 7th. May 8th, Columbus, May 9th, Pittsburgh, May 10th, Nashville, May 11th, Birmingham, May 13th, Atlanta, May 14th, Gainesville, May 15th, West Palm Beach, which is near Miami, and then May 16th, we finish up in Orlando. I'm selling the uh, Robot Kills Anniversary shirt, which was a big hit in England. I'm only printing it this tour. It's limited edition, but it's got the, the years, the 10-year anniversary, and it's a cool drawing I did of the cover, but like I just drew the robot with the cool background and i'm proud of it it's one of my favorite merch items i have done speaking of robots killer robots speaking of friendship today we have an amazing guest tim thompson now tim i met when i was 10 years old he is one of my best friends in the world we were roommates we met in fifth grade we he was in uh some of my first musical projects he's on radio pet fencing he raps he plays guitar you'll hear we talk more about his breadth of talents but tim has done a lot of videos for me over the years, like Lars Attacks, the Robot Kills, White Kids Aren't Hyphy, tons of videos, and he's working on stuff for the uh, Dewey Decibel system. But Tim is an interesting guy. He also did videos for Real Big Fish and Weird Al Yankovic. He's a great editor and producer, and you know he is one of the people who inspired me to be an artist. Like he went for it. He knew he had a dream to work in the entertainment industry. He went for it. I did too. And we always collaborated and we never, either of us really gave up despite hardships and ups and downs. So we talk about this, we talk about our friendship on this episode and we reminisce about a friend of ours, Jason, who was a very close friend of us growing up. And you'll hear kind of what happened to Jason and how that led us to become like more intimate creatively in our lives. So it's a really interesting episode. It's, I'm really proud of this episode. It's one of my favorites. Um, it's been cool interviewing my close friends because we kind of reminisce and it pieces together the story of how I got to where I am, where my friends are, and what they're doing. So uh, shout out to Tim Thompson. He let me interview him in his office where he works in uh, West LA in Mar Vista. And it was a great episode. So check it out. Thank you all for listening. This is the MC Lars podcast with Timothy. Thompson. Chill. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with one of my oldest friends, a dude I've known over 25 years. 
a director, a musician, a producer, a writer, a cinematographer, a musician. I don't know if I mentioned that. A rapper. Definitely one of the most talented people I've, I've known in my whole life. And one of my best friends in the world. He was one of my groomsmen at my wedding. You were in my second band. Ladies and gentlemen, Timothy Thompson. How you doing? What's up, buddy? You know, just uh, living a dream. Not really, but... Uh, <laughs> we talk all the time, you know? You, yeah. we, you You are one of my friends who... You and DJ are the two friends I talk to, like, regularly still. And I think there's this becomes this, um, this possibility when you get older to lose touch with the people you love, right? Mm-hmm. And have your world get smaller. But then there are always a few people who... You say you have friends for a season and friends for a reason or, or something. I don't know if you heard that rhyme. I haven't. And you're you're you've been in my life since I don't know, man. I I want I want I want to hear you talk. I've been talking, but I owe MC Lars to you for sure. And my success as an artist is because my my bro, my bro Tim. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's true. Um, you 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 were always like super talented and super really into creative endeavors and music and stuff like that. But I do think it was fun kind of uh, taking like that old, uh, I don't know if it was a play, what, I don't know what brand of uh, tape recorder it was, but it was that brown, remember that brown old tape recorder? Yeah. And we just like put that in, on, in uh, my, we put it in my brother's room because he got one of those Casio keyboards for Christmas one year. And we just went in there and like would play with all the presets and like make up songs. And then we changed it to MN, MNP, Major Noise Major Pollution. Major Noise Pollution, yeah. And our album, was, our debut album was called Say What? And we had, we did that, I did the album art on this old program, Kid Picks. Yeah. I remember this guy with question marks and like weird things. And we made the album art, we recorded all the songs and I quickly realized you know, we'd come up with lyrics and concepts, and one day we should digitize that tape and like make it a free download. But <laughs> you, you could sing, man. You could hit notes, and um, your parents are both like your dad is a theater teacher at mm-hmm. the school we went to, and your mom is a musician, and they're both active in the church. And I would try to sing your songs. I'd be like, why does it not sound the same? Oh, Tim is like a, a vocalist. So my whole career has been about like taking my limitations and trying to do what's best with them. And I always, you know, always felt like you had the, so much talent, especially musically, guitar playing, singing. And our first band together was Amphoteric, mm-hmm. which was the origin of MC Lars because we'd play shows and then I would play bass in the band and then I would open for the shows and, and rap and, you know, only happened a handful of times, but it became part of the lore that like MC Lars started as a side project from this punk ska hardcore band that was us and th- some of those songs man i don't know those songs are still like i was listening to some of the demos and we had you know i think we could have done well with that band <laughs> well it was certainly it was certainly fun to to do it. it definitely gave us something to do and something to um try out i like that all of our songs kind of sounded different like none of the songs really sounded the same like sure. they were all like different genres. And I think it's probably just because like my parents were like big music fans. They're really into the Beatles and like all the Beatles songs. Like I feel like a ton of the Beatles songs sound different. They're, they they just mess with different genres. So I think that's probably why I was like influenced. I was influenced by the Beatles, and then mm-hmm. I listened to a lot of Christian music back in the day. So I, a lot of DC Talk and DC Talk right. is like super influenced by the Beatles. You can just hear like them like they they definitely like riff on the Beatles a lot. So because I listened to that a lot of that music, I think. A lot of the songs we wrote together 
And because it started, you had a band called Horus. Right, which, and Chris, I interviewed Chris, who was our original bass player, who's now a, he does pop culture writing, and um, yeah, Horus, and then Amphoteric was you, me, Dan Ellis, mm-hmm. and Nick West. Yep, Nick West. Who, those guys, Dan Ellis, I don't know if you knew this, he was a drummer, now he's Avril Lavigne's guitarist. So awesome. Which is crazy. And Nick became like a virtuosic, virtuoso who's in new york like a great session musician and well you could tell i mean he like when he was in our band he would play a fretless bass which i thought was like i was like i couldn't play a fretless guitar if i tried like it's amazing he was genius yeah and we'd we'd print out the chord charts and you know something i did with horace is i would write the melodies and the chords i mean and the lyrics and think of the melody and then sean who was the vocalist of that band would sing them like really well and then Something we had a town of like like Canton, Ohio, my song about Marilyn Manson. I did a demo of that and I'm kind of like pitchy and I'm like all over the register. But you you picked out the melody and then when you did a version of that um, song, you would sing these songs and you would like, it's cool. You would capture what's in my, it was in my head in a way that no one else I've worked with in melody writing could have done, you know? Oh, and you would have, we'd have nice. the chord charts and we lost half the band, right? But then we got Craig Brown. Mm-hmm. Who was who is an incredible drummer? He's in Palm Springs. He plays with a lot of bands, and we'd rehearse at his house a lot. And yeah. we became a trio. Yeah, it was it was fun, and I, th- I think we did one demo out of that. We got one demo out of that. We did like four songs, right? We have two demos we did with him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We had four songs. We had there's the recorded songs of Green Machine, which actually, dude, that riff, that chord, that riff was from a Horace song, but the chord change on the chorus is what. I use for Hot Topic is not punk rock. Nice. And so I probably should listen to you as a co-writer. I apologize. No, no, but you, call, you, you called and asked. You were very nice. It was it. F sharp minor D A B. No, yeah, no. F sharp minor A D B. F sharp minor D A B. That was your change. And that was so dope. And the song was about, well, tell us what that song was about. Because you wrote the lyrics to, to original version of that. Well, you know, I, I grew up with like pretty like, liberal parents you know for being like very christian my parents are very uh very liberal i think and and they're very they always trying to kind of taught me that like money isn't the answer that like you know love and friendship and like being a good person and being kind to people and and not judging people on their differences but judging them on their character is like probably the most important thing you know and so um and we didn't my parents are both teachers you know so we obviously didn't grow up very like well well off um in fact my parents i my parents confessed to me recently they were talking about like oh what are some of your best memories from being a being a kid and i was like oh when we had fondue night <laughs> which is like you know you take the cheese and you dip food in it and they're like and then my parents just started like bust out laughing and i was like why are you laughing and they're like well we did that because we didn't have any money and it was just like the leftovers in the fridge so we just got some cheese and like heated it up and so when like we when we couldn't feed you and your brother we just had fondue nights because we had nothing else to feed you because we were out of food. So it's kind of funny. That's sweet, dude. Uh, Yeah. So like, and so because of that, like I've, I've never really like valued, valued money the same way that um, I think maybe like people who kind of make up their life, you know, like, so I don't know. I think green machine is just about the, how money kind of takes away your, um, 
takes your focus and like a lot of people worship it like a god you know like or like it becomes the focus of everything you know and it is tough because everything in this world costs money so well the course round and round it goes from my head to my toes making us the new god of green right mm-hmm, and yeah. you talk about this guy who's trying to pick up a girlfriend and he's broke so she doesn't care yeah. about him and um then you write a letter and you're you're praying you're writing you say i wrote all night i wrote uh t- what was it? Uh, would you call it odd? I was writing to God. Yeah. And uh, yeah, those lyrics, man, you're such a poet. And another one was, you wrote a song about this girl you liked, Molly's Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah. And the line, I hope 99 will be a wonderful year. Yeah. Right? He wrote it in 98. We played, one of our biggest shows, we played a New Year's Eve festival on New Year's Eve of the Millennium. Yep, that was fun. And uh, we definitely had some, th- I remember the band before was like this, who played was like really like jazzy, like mm-hmm. talented band. And it was like a lot of moms. And then we started our set with like a, with drop D tuning, drop D tuning. <laughs> what was that first song? It was just like, uh, I think it was good. I think it was green machine. Was it? Yeah, it was, it was. And then, uh, yeah, I remember, cause I remember watching the video and I remember Everyone just ba- looking bounced. and I had like <laughs> black slacks on, but they were like pocketless black slacks. That I was okay. wearing, and I just remember thinking, why was I wearing pocket? Li- like, what's the point of pocket? Li- I think they're supposed to be like dancing pants or something like that. They were actually yeah. like, yeah, it was weird. Like, I don't know. They they were actually probably just like pants from like my dad, because he, he works in drama. He probably just had like 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 dancer pants laying around. So I probably just took them and wore them. You for were that. killing it though. And like the, our <laughs> other big show was shout out to Mr. Beck. He had a assembly at our school, a required assembly with the entire school, six hundred yeah, people yeah. had to come watch us. <laughs> play a set in the auditorium <laughs> it was like man mandatory i'm like that that's so rare in the music business like your first show yeah. is for 600 people you know and it like with great sound and you yeah. you went to different high schools so you came in and just schooled it and like yeah that was awesome right yeah, yeah that was funny we and and it was like there was this groundswell of support for amphoteric and yeah i remember i remember somebody coming after me at that show it might have been dan ellis who basically was just like telling me because i like what head i head banged and he's like dude the head banking thing is over I forget. Somebody came up to me. I think it was after that set. Wait, like during your songs? No, no. Like after we had finished, I was like, the headbanging thing is over. You should stop doing that. When were you headbanging out? I don't know. (laughs) Just like rocking out? Yeah. I mean, the songs were, you know, it was Nirvana. It was DC Talk. We we loved ICP. Like, I remember we tried to do a cover of Under the Moon because it's kind of a ska song. And that didn't really translate. You know, it was, we, we could have. Yeah, you did that. You did that when you played First Night with Horace, I think, because I remember Sean, Sean seeing that. Yeah, we did. Some covers we did with Horace. We did Drama Ramas, anything, anything. We did Superman's Dead by Our yep. Lady Peace. Did we do any covers with Amphoteric? I don't remember. I think we did. Didn't we do? We did one. We did one song that Dan Ellis wrote. I remember. I forget yeah, what that was. Yeah, yeah. No, it was. Uh, uh, yes, no, yes, yeah. no. Skittles, Skittles, Rainbow Bunny, Monkey Wrench was taken. Uh, what is he saying? Bullets are what I'm. No, no, no. Something is what I'm making. It was. He wanted to write a nonsense song. Yeah, it was fun. So, and then we and did then, it. We. Yeah, I think we performed that one. Yeah, there, there was some, there was some bangers. And then what happened was, you know, we're skipping all over, and I want to go back to some earlier stuff. The band eventually it became like it became like Blue Man Group. It was all entirely different members except craig for a minute craig still played yeah craig still played well yeah because what happened was you you left because you you mc lars really started taking off and so you were just like well i'm i'm going to do this i'm going to college i'm, I'm doing a bunch of stuff and it wasn't like a priority so that so you basically just kind of like handed the reins to me and i needed another member yeah and so i got my friend hart 
to play. And Hart's an amazing musician. Our Hancock, yeah. shout out to him. He's, he's awesome. Dope. He's dope. And I think he still lives in the in the Bay Area with his wife and, and daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, who incidentally, should they, I think they both went to our, our, my high school. They, okay. uh, his current wife now, I think she went to his high school. And he's just like this amazing guitarist. And he was really into like the technology of guitars. Like he would have like all of like, um, what's that called? The Ebo? Is that yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. And he like, he introduced me to that and like, he loved like dream theater and like stabbing Prog West, stuff. Prog, lots of prog. So his influence came into Porcupine it. Porcupine tree. Yeah. And he actually raised a bunch of money to like get us to record an amphoteric album, like him, me, and Craig. And it was like a three piece. And I played bass this time because uh-huh. he could he didn't feel comfortable playing bass. So well, I was just like, I'll do it. And then we wrote like a whole bunch of new songs. I think we had one or two that were from ours that, that was that rivers whatever. of understanding rivers of understanding and then and then what well, can i interrupt though you please you, one day at rehearsal you bring this fool i'm like who is the heck is this guy like, oh his heart he's my guitar tag you know yeah <laughs> and, and then 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 he's in the band suddenly and it was like it was okay because i had left and i like you asked me i gave you my blessing and yeah he did some really cool versions of our arrangements yeah and then he but then he would like hear this fake story that they were touring in europe and it well, was yeah, like I think, live in belgium and like yeah i think i think it was just like you know being young and like wanting to have that kind of press on the uh, album yeah, on the album so he just like he he would rush. so he's very creative i think and but then when i left it was like him and craig and then he hired this other bassist who was also like a big prog rock fan and right. they did i think they did two albums after that right. and like and they're like totally different. There's like yeah. it's like met very metal it's, and like and very different. It's bizarre. Like people who like you know snarky indie documentaries. That it's like the story of Amphoteric is its own story because it, by the end there were so many members in the band and it was just completely different people. It wasn't but, even like the same band. I think it was just like the name. It's like why why did the name thing? I think as soon as you left, we should have called ourselves something different. And then as soon as yeah. I left. They should have called themselves something different. Well, Amphoteric originally had like, we had a kind of a sense of humor. We loved Real Big Fish. We loved, oh, like, yeah, yeah. we loved Green Day. And we, well, yeah, loved well, we when threat. we started, I mean, Ska was really huge. Ska was big. We didn't have horns. We were the Ska band without horns. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And, but, but like, um, Amphoteric, the name, I was remembering chemistry class. It was like, it's a substance that based on, it's such a nerdy name for a, a, a Ska. Yeah, you called band. me up. You called me up. You're like, Tim. What do you think of this name for our band? Well, I think I think it was all in one call. I think you called me and you're like, "Do you want to be in a band with me?" <laughs> and it was I remember because I was in the kitchen and yeah. you were like, "And also, what do you think of this name? It's called Amphoteric. It uh-huh. this is what it means." And you you broke it down. To and me. so it's something that's both that can be acidic or Either basic. Acidic or basic, yeah. Based based on. Um, pH, the electrons ph scale seven which water is yeah and water so water is an, amph- an amphoteric, amphoteric substance. substance so i was like that's such a great name for it's still an ill name for a band you know i should i should call it uh, should do, we should do a song the story of amphoteric <laughs> but but through all this like a uh element of sadness because you know we started we met because i grew up you know in oakland mm-hmm. and then my dad got a job different job and we moved down to the monterey peninsula so I went to this Catholic school for a year where you'd been since what grade? Kindergarten? Yeah, I went there since I might have even gone to preschool there, I think. Yeah. yeah. Santa Catalina. Santa Catalina. I visited for fourth grade to, to to see if I liked it. And, you know, I was a goofy kid. But I met you and you were like so nice. And we were both like, oh, we're weird. We're both weird 10-year-olds in like this school of of very serious, strict Catholic. Oh, yeah. Students. No, I was like, I was definitely the kid who would always get sent to like the 
the corner or like sent outside for being disruptive and like right. the girls would ew like yeah. I was the ew kid you know that all the girls were scared of and like hated and um fifth but 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 when I one of the reasons I wanted to go to Santa Catalina is because I met you well yeah when 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 I when I saw you I really really wanted to be the one to because every time a new student would come to the school they would uh, the teacher would assign one student to sort of be their like buddy I would like follow him around because I was like weirdly tall. I had a bowl cut. I had these big, <laughs> huge glasses. I huge glasses. I was like, I had a. I didn't have my retainer yet, but I was really like so. I was a weird kid. Like I'd mm-hmm. say moo and cow and like I loved obsessed it. with all this. I stuff. was like, who is this kid? My, I need to. I need to know him. And my mom, <laughs> she dropped me off to school. She's like, remember Andrew? You only get one chance to make a first impression, <laughs> and I bl- totally blew it. Like no, you didn't. So, I, th- I think you did. You you may have blown it for them, but you. To me, you made the perfect impression, and as soon as I met you, I knew that we should be friends. Well, so I think you yeah. made the right impression. I just think society wasn't ready for you. Thank you, Tim. We were we hit it off instantly, and like when I remember fifth grade, the first day, I, I sat next to you, and I went, I went, I remember you, and you went, <laughs> I remember you, and we were, I was like, this dude is gonna be like one of my best friends. And the fact that fifth grade was traumatic because I hit puberty young, I missed all my friends in Oakland. I was sucked at sports. I was the teacher. Our teacher, David Wickham, was just not, <laughs> you know. He was interesting. <laughs> he was he was not trying to be a teacher. No, and he couldn't deal with the classroom and like. Uh, so it was us, and then this dude, this kid who was a year older, who lived in Carmel Valley, who you yeah. were friends with from church from back in the day. How long had you known Jason? Um, I know I knew Jason since as far back as I can remember. I remember he came to the because. Um, his mom and dad who adopted him uh, went to our had gone to our church pretty much since I was like one or two or something like that so yeah. pretty much ever since I can remember I knew Jason yeah and he was like a ridiculously funny brilliant kid but he would always get in trouble because he had like a cough and he'd cough like in class yeah like, he's very loud yeah, like he's definitely not the person like I don't know, like especially. I love movies now. Uh-huh. I don't, his his brand of humor in movies might have annoyed me now, like just because he's like what, like the slapstick stuff. Well, just like if stuffing was funny, he would laugh like the loudest. Like you would, it sounded fake. It sounded like he was like, <laughs> like yeah, and just yeah. like almost like he was screaming. Like you could it, you could hear his vocal cords like strain when he would like laugh. And then <laughs> I remember we were watching like Independence Day. Uh huh. And at the at the State Theater uh-huh. in Monterey, yeah. and he was just like laughing so loud, and this guy behind him was like, "Oh, can you be quiet?" <laughs> <laughs> Jason, and was- he's like, "That's just how I laugh." <laughs> He's like eleven, <laughs> like that's just how I laughed. Is this dad, this this grouch, Jason? Yeah, go to. I remember we see the Brady Bunch Hawaiian vacation movie, and like he was definitely like <laughs> inappropriately laughing at the scenes he did that weren't weren't that funny. Oh yeah, the Brady Bunch killed him. He would just like he would Love just the, he because would die. Jason had <laughs> thought it was so funny. He was adopted, and he's he'd lost his mom to cancer tragically when he was like, like yeah. second or third grade, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and I remember I remember her, and um, yeah, and so that kind of put a big strain on him and his dad's relationship. His dad was strict, and Jason would escape into like wrestling. And oh, Jason loved wrestling. Computer games. He had this one. He had this one computer game that was <laughs> like a rap production emulator it was like early rap beats and you could make it <laughs> trigger samples so when so you'd play like these these 80s beats and one of them was like the guy would go hard rock school 
He's go. He go. Hard rock school don't need no college. And the, and the other one was like, the other one was like, don't treat me that like I hang around your booty crack. Then, oh yeah, we thought. I remember that. Don't treat me that like I hang around your booty crack. You can make beats and then trigger these like samples that were like approximation of hip hop. Mm-hmm. Hard rock school don't need no college. And then he had this, that. this AI program that was like very advanced for yeah. Well, it, was, it, it was supposed to be. Uh, like a digital, like a computer therapist. So you would like tell it, like Doctor Spezzo wanted to deal with your problems. Like I'm Doctor Spezzo, so I would like to deal with your. I would help you with your problems. Type your problem, and I will help you answer. So they bought that for Jason because he been through this trauma. Yeah, yeah, and, no, for and sure. So now, he was dad, in therapy for his sure. Dad bought him his program with the be like, Dr. Spazzo, will you lick my butthole? And he'd be, yeah. We'd be like, do not talk to me like that. No, well, he would, he would like, well, you could get him to repeat the curse word back to you. Yeah. If you were like, <laughs> if you're a doctor, you're like, you're, you, you could say something like, um, my butthole makes me very angry. And he's like, and Dr. Spates would be like, why do you think your butthole makes you very angry? <laughs> it would just, would be like, it would like, <laughs> and he would like fall off his chair, he'd like hit his bed and just like, he would just, and and then his dad would come in and be like, Jason, you're being too loud. And he's like, I can't help it. And he'd like, that's just how I laugh. Yeah. And so, and so a lot of times we would go down to the basement, like his basement, like, first of all, his house was one of those houses that's like, constantly in in states of like repair there's like his carpets. dad was an architect yeah but like i think he's still working on it now it's like, like the it, winchester mystery it, it is it, like like he's still carpeting it still painting parts of it and so in the basement there was just like rolled up carpet there was like a piece of a car that was like covered in plastic and there was this tv down there with the cable box and so we would go down there and we would watch wrestling and right. like throw each other against the carpet as like the <laughs> the, the the ropes of the wrestling and we would like yeah. reenact and like Jason loved the villains. He was all about the, the heels. He- the heels. He was all about the heels. Like R- Rowdy Roddy. What's Rowdy Roddy Piper? He loved Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah. Brutus Beefcake. Uh uh Ravishing Rick Rude. And now wrestling is like Jason was the original hipster. Wrestling is like so mainstream. And then it was too, but like he loved wrestling. He'd always oh, yeah. brag about. It. I mean, he, he once he called me, he goes, Andrew, I got to tell you something. And I go, Yeah, the he, early nineties. Yeah, goes, I got a magazine where the sexiest woman in wrestling's butt is shown. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. Like it was like this weird thing where like the naked girls in wrestling was, you know, it's it, now it's tame, but like look, it's girls wrestling. Like yeah, and we'd be down there watching and like watching R-rated movies. And, Jason, yeah, his dad like, would come down. He's like, "What are you watching? You're watching them girls." <laughs> and flip to Tiny Toons. No, Mister Barton, it's bad. It's yeah, well, because like sometimes he would get those like the previews of like the pay per view like m- swimsuit model things. You and know, scramble. <laughs> and, and and we would like why? Or sometimes they would actually like have the the shows on, and we'd be like, "He's like, what are you? You looking at those swimsuit women?" And we're like, "No, we're not." Because like we were bo- we were all kids, and then yeah. in that year we all kind of grew up and. <laughs> and I, I remember like Jason, w- w- I lived in Carmel Valley too. And like, it was so far away from Monterey and where everyone lived like half hour, an hour to get anywhere. So Jason and I would hang out a lot yeah. after you and I met and we just fell in love with prank calls. And like, oh, he yeah. would, we would conference call. I have tapes and tapes. And you tapes. should, do, you should do an episode where you talk about Jason and you play some of the tapes. Cause that's like amazing. Cause he's, we have him on calls. Like, it was just we'd call two places at once, or like we'd call someone and he'd start singing, or he, we'd call someone and he'd pretend like, "Mom, when are you gonna pick me up?" I, I'm not doing them justice, but they were like better than the Jerky Boys. And I remember one Fourth of July, his dad had this Fourth, 
Fourth of July party, and we all went into his room, right? He had a phone in his room, and we picked this one <laughs> number, and we just called these people who were having a Fourth of July party a hundred times. <laughs> we were ruthless, like obnoxious, and we just called. Called and 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 called. And they put us on. They, they eventually like just unplugged their phone. But we were just, <laughs> we were just like so bad. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. That was. And then for, you know, I switched school. For middle school, we all kind of scattered. You and I went to different schools. Mm-hmm. And we had this birthday party at the boardwalk. It was just you, me, and Jason because I didn't have any friends, you know. And, um, Riding the roller coasters and like, oh yeah, that's so fun. He, we were getting on the log ride. And he got his foot wet and he got all mad and <laughs> like Jason would get really like he was so happy then he gets so mad so quick and so that's some background and then you know Jason was like the third wheel and like our trio of homies and then something kind of like really tragic happened. You want to talk about it because it leads into us forming together and writing music. You know, yeah. Um- yeah, on Halloween, um, one uh, one year, I think it was the year I was in eighth grade, uh, Jason came to a Halloween party at my house, and he dressed up, he was just wearing his his uniform from, uh, did he go to Palma? Is that where he was going? Yeah, yeah. which was a boy's all, private school. All boy's private school. Um, and he was wearing his Palma, and... Um, and we were like, what What did you, and my mom or something asked him, like, what are you dressed up at? He's, he's like, he's like, I'm a student <laughs> like for Halloween. Like, he was yeah. just, he would do that a lot. Or like, he would be like, he would. One year he dressed up with a tie and yeah. a, a white a tie and a suit. What are you? I'm America's greatest f- fear, a white Republican male. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a 13, 14 year old kid saying this stuff. Yeah, yeah. He was really, he was really into R- Ross Perot, I remember. <laughs> and Dan Quayle. And yeah, like, yeah. He was just weirdly, without the internet, he knew everything about politics. Yeah, he read a lot. He read a lot. Dude was a genius. You know, so go ahead. So oh, he, yeah. So anyway, Halloween. he came to my Halloween party and then he left and um, the pot party was dying down. Tell us this, this, the story, man. You told, like we, when I was here, when we were doing, working on the, on the, this project, I was in town and we, you told me this story that, you know, kind of took the night apart. You had had a, you both had had a friend, Armand or something. Oh yeah. Armand, uh, uh, Armand, I think it was Armand or Armando or something like that. A friend who was in your class who. Yeah. And, uh, we somehow somehow I knew him from like I th- I don't know if it was from middle school or something like somehow I knew this person but they had got they I think he was I think he was an eighth grader when I was a seventh grader and then when he went to high school he went to Palma okay with Jason and he's just kind of this big goofy kid and uh-huh. he was just kind of funny and like uh, Jason always would like reveled in like really bizarre people you know he loved bizarre people and would think they were so funny that's why he loved us we were all weird kids and so we just and so i remember this the last thing he said to me when he walked out the door he was like he's like armando or whatever like that but you'd been like you told me a story and made me laugh so much because like you taught you were sitting on your couch eating candy and you're talking about armand armando or whatever and then two hours later when he leaves he goes ha ha ha, armando yeah yeah, yeah. he continues his story that was such a jason thing and so yeah no and yeah and I mean, tragically, he, um, Mr. Barton got into a car accident. A drunk driver veered into the wrong lane and hit the car with Jason and, and Mr. Barton in it. And, uh, Jason was killed. And, uh, yeah, it a was a drunk 19 year old kid, drunk 19 year old kid on Halloween. And that, I was kind of, uh, 
really kind of turned my world upside down because at that point, you know, you know, Jason was probably my closest friend. I'd known him forever. And uh, we were sort of like a trio, you, me, and Jason. And it was just, it was, it was, it was a very uh, hard thing to have to deal with. And I, you know, it, um, I don't know. It, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things you, you sometimes think you've cried all the tears you're going to cry for somebody. And then it just kind of comes back in, in waves and you remember. Well, he had this thing on his desk. It said, uh, what is it? Winners never quit and quitters never win. Right. Yeah. I have it. And yeah, this, this rock that, that, yeah, his dad gave it to me when he passed. And it's, and it's, it's, I would say it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a hokey statement, yeah. but it's also like I thought it was super sweet that his dad gave it to me because his dad gave it to Jason because his dad had really big plans for Jason. I mean, Jason was really, really smart. Jason probably could have gone to any college. He probably would have gone Ivy League. I wouldn't doubt it. Jason would have been a a, a a a a crazy awesome politician or lawyer or like, Lob- lobbyist or, yeah. or something or even like stand-up comedian i think even he's just he had he had so much potential he was special and you know the thing about jason was like his his laughter and his obsession with wrestling and computer games and stuff was a way for him to sublimate his pain mm-hmm. that he you know carmel valley like i said is far away they lived in this giant house deep in the woods under all these pine trees down a hill so it was always dark and windy and the, the the swimming pool is always covered with pine needles and yeah. the house is always in a state of disrepair like unfinished like certain windows were covered in plastic like, it was like when the beauty and strength of his mom left jason was forever i'd met him in that state of like suspended animation of mm-hmm. like he always talked about her and obviously losing your mom as a young kid i can't imagine how messed up that is but then but then his father losing his little boy senselessly on a Halloween night, like for that, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I eventually became sober is like thinking about how alcohol, you know, I mean, that was just like a messed up, insane thing. And that dude got, got, didn't really get in much trouble. He had to take, tell some speeches in schools, didn't have to really go to, I don't think he really went to jail because it was I don't know. It was just. It's- I remember. I remember he did have to. I mean, he was. Un, he was in, like either on probation or something. Like it wasn't. He wasn't like scot free when he did it. Okay. Um. But um. But yeah. I. 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 I've heard. I've only heard like stuff like rumors and stuff like that. But apparently, he got in trouble for drunk driving again. And yeah. Um. I really. I. I do feel. I feel bad for him, in the sense that, I, I'm. I'm sad that he made those decisions and that. It's, I'm sure it's changed his life, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about. Like, you know, it's like as our lives were turned upside down, I mean, his was too. I mean, right. I, think, I don't think you can ever get away from that, you know, having done that and and taken a life like that. So, And he had to write letters to Jason's dad. Which I thought was really kind of awful for Jason's dad. To get those letters, yeah, to relive cause, that. Cause, yeah, because even if you never read them, you, get, you see, you know who they're from. And when they show up, you know, you know, I, I just... I thought that was kind of a weird thing that the judge did. I think the judge was just trying to teach the kid a lesson, but it I, I don't know. I thought it was a little bit unfair for for Robert. And, you know, and Jason, you know, and Jason was adopted, you know, and Jason was was very curious about his adopted parents. And, sure. his, and his dad had said something like, once you graduate high school or like when you're 18 or something like that, I will, I'll take you and we'll find your, we'll find your biological parents. And so... Mm. 
it was something that that he wanted to do with Jason. Um, and uh, I t- I talked to Robert not too long ago, and he was talking about something like he's like he's not sure if they even knew if he died or anything. But um, what his biological? Yeah, his bi- I don't know. If oh, his, they don't know. If I don't know if they're aware. Past. Well, it's just they're very. I think they. It was. You know, I, I, they weren't very involved. Sure. Yeah, they were. And. I remember you told this was like when I was here last time for some work stuff. We talked about this and we had some tears. And you you pieced the story together of how you were in the yard playing with the fog machine with your brother. Your dad and mom got a call. Your dad had to put on his coat and leave, and you knew something was wrong. He had to go to the hospital. Yeah, it was weird. I saw my parents like in like the the doorway of the front of the house when Dale and I were back inside, and and my dad and my mom are just like like whispering. My dad's putting on his jacket and leaving, and I'm like. It's like 9.30. My parents go to bed at like 9.30. So right, I was like, right. I knew something was different. And then my mom kind of came in the living room, sat us down and told us what had happened. And it's weird when you're told something like that because you don't believe it at first. You hear it and the words kind of come out and they kind of feel hollow. Like they don't have any, they just you, you kind of aren't, don't really believe what you just heard. And then when when it finally sinks in, then you just I don't know. I ended up just like running out into the front yard and like looking up at the stars and You know, I, I remember know. I remember I, I remember that. Um I found out that a kid had died the next day at school and I was like, that's really sad. And I went to my guitar lesson, you know, my and my mom knew and she didn't tell me because she wanted me to be focused. And then we had a good guitar lesson and being in the car, my mom told me and I remember I just broke down I was like I couldn't believe it and you know we didn't had all, feel real didn't feel real because we'd we'd had all these really real visceral memories of growing up so recently and and we'd always talked on the phone you know and he's always there I'd call we couldn't text I'd call his house and it was a local number so like I'd always talk to him and I remember I never told this story to anyone but I remember I came home and I just called his number and it just rang for like a hundred times because I just I just really wanted to talk to him and I really wanted to be there. And that, that was like this memory of like, I I couldn't reach out and talk to my friend. And then you and I didn't talk for a while because it was a lot to deal with. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean for this to get like to talk. Oh no, it's okay. Yeah. But I mean, we didn't talk for a while. Yeah. I think I, well, cause I think, I think there's a, I mean, you know, we weren't going to the same schools, you know, and I'm, and I know it was, it was painful for both of us. I know it was painful for you. And I, it was definitely, it definitely like hurt me greatly. And it was hard to, hard to, yeah. And I remember my parents and a lot of it too, was my parents sent me that summer. My parents sent me to Mr. Barton's house. And I'd go to like Mr. Barton's house like every week. To try to be a son figure in his life. Yeah. It was, it, it was, I don't want to say weird. Cause I think it wasn't very kind of my parents to do that. And I think it, it, it toughened me a little bit to it just because I had to like, I had to confront it like every week, you know, I didn't want to go. I mean, that was probably the last place in the world I wanted to be. Well, and then one, one, the next 4th of July, he had a, threw a party with everyone. Yeah. 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 And that was in being in his room with his posters up and his books still. That was really, that that felt, yeah. Walking into, it's weird. I don't know why it, that is. It, there's probably some psychological reason for it, but why walking into somebody's room that you know has passed, that feeling when you walk in just feels different. It's so bizarre. It's like that was still his stuff. Yeah, because you because you smell him 
you know what I mean? You smell like the things that were his and you see everything and you just kind of, they, everything takes on a different, yeah, everything you look at, do you look at it kind of in a different way? It's like the shell of a hermit crab that has yeah. gone on. And Jason, Jason was, what was so crazy about it is he was such a special, unique guy who our friend, the three of our friendship was like one one unit. We were a, we were a crew, mm-hmm. and I think one of the I remember going to that that Fourth of July thing his dad threw, which was sweet. And I also remember going back, and his dad had painted the room and and that, and taken Jason's stuff down, and that was like a healing thing. Like, oh, okay, we can all start to move on and and remember our homie. Yeah, and you and I. Because he left it up for a while. I remember when I would go over there, like it was Jason's stuff was just- The computer was still there. Everything was just there the same for like quite a few, quite a few weeks I remember when I would go over. Yeah, because how do you, uh, it's just such But then eventually he started doing it. And I think initially I was a little bit, it it bugged me a little bit. That he'd changed it? Yeah, because it was like, but you know. You wish he'd left it. Yeah, yeah, but then then when I would start going over more, more I, I don't remember how many times i went over that summer but it was it was a few it was a f- at least like five or six weekends i would i would think and some one day i even stayed there and i even stayed in jason's room and that was that was a weird experience with jason's stuff this i think this was after he had taken the stuff i didn't out. It was, know it would that, turn it much into a guest room and um <sighs> but it was weird though because it was like we stayed in there and jason it was they both rooms had like a, a shower but mr barton had to use that shower because his shower was broken because he'd been working on it, like trying to like make it. So like there was like one shower that they used, and like so he like woke you up early to use the shower. Yeah, pretty much. That's it was weird. it was it was it was interesting. You know, but Mr. Barton. I mean, one of the happy thing is he eventually found love, and my parents always see him and his new wife around town, mm-hmm. and he found he found a really sweet Southern lady mm-hmm. who kind of matched his. You know, Robert Barton was the first time I'd ever met a Southern man oh, yeah. who was kind of genteel, and he spoke with an accent. And he'd yeah. get mad. And oh yeah, he's he was he was pretty he was pretty grumpy. He's a pretty grumpy dude. Like even I mean, always like you know yeah. he, he was it wasn't like just because Jason passed that he got grumpy. He was he's a grumpy man like pretty much his his whole life. But um, uh, I don't know. I told you I went up to I just recently went on a to a car show with him. Yeah, you did tell me. Yeah, how'd that go? It was good. Well, the car is interesting. It has significance because he was he bought the car as sort of like an heirloom that he was going to pass down to Jason. Oh wow, dude! And when and one of the reasons I went over that summer is because I was there kind of helping him take this car apart. It was this 1937 Packard 12? I think that's right. And um, great memory, Tim. And we had to, we, it was the super weathered and like rusted. And so it was like, it was like being out in the hot Carmel Valley sun, you know, ripping off. Wait, was this recently or was this like back in the day? This was like the, the summer after Jason passed. So you really were mired in like the shell of his life. Yeah. You became the surrogate son in a way. And kind of, yeah. I mean, I could tell that it it hurt him as much to have me there as it hurt me to be there but i think we both kind of knew that it was it was like sort of necessary pain to sort of like help us move on because he really didn't have anybody i think his sister died like a year after jason oh, God. died so fixing this car became this <laughs> metaphor for the motion of getting on with your lives yeah and then so then you took it to the show recently which was 
Yeah. Dude, I I didn't know this part of this story. This is crazy. Yeah, he he and so this it's this it's this car that I mean it was it means a lot to him in in that but I think it's more of like the completion of the car cuz I think he's talked about even selling it now, but he, it was more about just like taking this something cuz it he obviously his house is in state of repair although it's almost done now apparently. Um so his beautiful lo- house. Yeah, it's beautiful and, and he tennis and his courts and the pool and mm-hmm. like he clean eventually cleaned the pine needles. Yeah, he's he's he so it's like he's finally sort of like he has his wife is great. Um he's finally sort of getting his life together and once he says once he finishes the house in Karma Valley he's moving to Oklahoma City. Really? With, is that where his wife is from? Yeah, yeah, his wife is from and her family's out there and he said he's just going to live in Oklahoma City for the rest of his life. We're jumping around a lot. Yep. But um <laughs> but um but uh, last time I saw him I, we were playing this New Year's festival and um the same when we played with Amphoteric, I used to, I would play it as MC Lars mm-hmm. after when I could. And we were there for him and he couldn't come, he couldn't make it out to the show. So we did a acapella Mr. Raven for him. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. And and you cuz you gosh you would be my hype man a lot, and we just pay off for first night for sure. Because like I don't, because a lot of the people, everybody's like visiting family and friends for the holidays. But I was always there because like Monterey is where I'm from. So, so we so we performed that for him, and I think that gave him like a, some joy. Let's go back. Let's go back. Make sure. Let's go back. Um. So, you and I hadn't talked for a minute. I remember I, Jason's dad gave me. Jason had this really beautiful tie. It was like the American flag and. I, I wore it during my eighth grade graduation. Oh, People were awesome. like, "Oh, you're so patriotic!" Like they were making fun of me, but it was like, "No, it's my boys, my boys tie." Yeah. Same. Gonna, People make fun of this all the time. It's funny. This this winners never quit thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, Jason. That like I wanted to honor him and. Yeah, yeah. It means something to us, you know. Yeah, and he, um, you and I hadn't talked, and one of the one of the things we said was, you know, we need to get together, and we went to your house, and we both were learning guitar we both were getting like kind of good we could play like rancid and green day and nirvana <laughs> songs and and we we had this chord progression and just like when you and i had been making songs on your brother's keyboard and silly lyrics on the first mm-hmm. mnp stuff we then wrote this song called michael which was jason's middle name and mm-hmm. and and the, and the song starts the day you left i called you up to see if it was true that was about me calling him but you weren't there you'd gone away it hurt to see it through now what's going to happen? I don't really know. Can't seem to find your footsteps in the freshly fallen snow. Um, something like, and the chorus was what? Michael. How we love you. Your spirit still lives on or something. Your laughter is like music. Yeah. I was always laughing. For you, we wrote this song. Yeah. And. Um, actually, I just, I mean, just to, uh, his middle name is actually Matthew, but I oh. think we called it Michael just so it's not like him. Obvious. Yeah. It's well, just, now, now the truth is out. The truth but is out. That song was, you know, that song was special and, um. Even though I never, even though I never got to say goodbye, Michael, know that you're a star, Michael. You can fly mm-hmm. or something like that. Because yeah. thinking about like, just, just, yeah, how quickly his soul would have left his body when they got in a car wreck, you mm-hmm. know, on that day. And that song, dude, was the was the genesis of Amphoteric and us reconnecting creatively. And then we started making videos and mm-hmm. you know some problematic like. Re- offensive like inappropriate videos and yep. and so all this like well i think that was some some of that some of those videos were the the impetus for mc lars i think a little bit because you you had your your cartoon character horace right who's kind of like because you love the simpsons so he's kind of your bart simpson he's kind of like a bad boy kind of had the skull shirt yeah horace was the spiky hair which was he was yeah. based on link and he had a huge overbite with the three teeth it was roger rabbit link and bart simpson mm-hmm. that was horace yeah and and 
And for some reason, you got really obsessed with the, the name Lars. Which I talked about with Chris on the podcast from the Heavyweights movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and then you were MC Lars Horace. And we did a well, thing. Well, Lars Horace first. We did Lars Horace, the movie, where he had this friend yep. who was Biff, who had a pentagram on his shirt, yep. which our parents didn't like. And Biff had a devil yeah, I played, tail. I played Biff. And there was Bernice. You played Lars Horace. Bernice the beaver, who was a dude, who must he was like a transgender beaver, who was a girl, who was also a guy. And they were friends. And- one crazy thing is when I met Hank Ketchum, who created Dennis the Menace, mm-hmm. you know, I he was from Monterey and he did a talk at the library and I was flipping through my cartoons and he took Bernice. I was like, this is Bernice. Bernice is mean. And and, and Ketchum was like, oh, well, he should look like this. And he drew a version of my character in the Dennis the Menace style. And I was like, this is dope. So anyway, that was that's a side note. Shout out to librarians. And um, my mom <laughs> brought me to that. So yeah, that then we started Amphoteric and the Lars Horace stuff. And then- at this point, since I was Lars Horace, you needed a name, and you'd gone by Devin, Devin T, yeah. Devin Thompson. What's Devin? My middle name. That's uh, really your middle name. Yeah. That's what I thought. And then MNP became Major Noise Pollution, became you, the MC, and you were the only guest on my first album that ever <laughs> came out on a label. And you did, and that was Escape from Robot Island. Mm-hmm. And so we would, the first shows, you'd come up to Stanford, because you were at Diablo Valley doing film school, or- no, I was just, I was just, uh, basically, I was just trying to get my general education requirements so I could go to the Academy of Art in yeah. San Francisco. Okay. But I really hated Diablo Valley College. I was working at my uncle's Bible bookstore. It was uh-huh. just like stressful. So like I would escape and go to Berkeley and visit like this, like my then sort of friend, this, girlfriend. This girl thing. you were chasing. Chasing. I was chasing her, but were we you were together. Kind of. Not really. I remember. And then this is, we, we went together and we auditioned for the real world. When they oh, had yeah. an open casting that ball was in Berkeley. Fun. That was fun. And yeah, well, we spent a lot of time in the Bay, like in Berkeley, and then you'd come to Stanford because you weren't happy at Diablo Valley. No. And we would, I, the first MC Lars shows, you would come up dressed in a tracksuit with a giant clock around your neck, like Flavor Flav, <laughs> which, you know, and, and, and rap, you knew all my songs. You'd been listening to them for yeah, four yeah. or five years and- You'd, and you'd always send me the albums, and then I thought they were. I was always impressed. They were. They were always like. You always drew some cartoon, and you had yeah. like the liner notes. You had stuff that probably on CDR that no one in the world has but you. Because every time I made something, I was like, "Gotta send it to Tim." Yeah, yeah. Because and um, we did an album and MNP and Lars H, mm-hmm. which was like punk songs, some of the Amphoteric songs. It was. Yeah, we just did it on your like little eight track mixer, didn't we? Yeah, that was, was it. A four track. I don't remember. It was a four track that you could make an eight track by bouncing everything to the last mm-hmm. stereo. And um, that became, those songs were demos that became amphoteric. So then we were like, you know, it was just this, I, I feel like in, a, in an alternate universe, you and I could have been like an ICP thing. Like it's a group. <laughs> and for one, at one point, this, I've never really talked about this, but it's funny that Daniel eventually played guitar with Avril Lavigne. I was almost going to be the support slot on her second tour, you know, oh, wow, her world funny. tour. Because oh, yeah. Network managed her and... Um, she had heard my stuff and liked it or, for some reason, and like we were about to do that. So you learned the Lars Horace stuff, M- the MC Lars stuff on guitar. Mm-hmm. Remember you? You and then and the tour didn't happen. And um, but uh, yeah, you were coming to Stanford, and then we were doing the we did the Robot Island song, which was based on a, a short film you did. Because during all this time, you were making these incredible movies and going to film school, right? Robot Island was a would the film come first or the song? Well, I wanted to make the movie first, and so then when when I pitched the concept, I was like, "What if we did a song called this?" Uh huh. 
and then you pitched it to me like on the yeah, phone. Yeah, I think yeah. yeah. And then we when we recorded it, it was like it was sort of like my verse was sort of based on what I thought the movie would be. And then in college, I ended up much later, many years later, I ended up making a short film. But it's funny; it's a story of these the same. these killer robots, and then that was kind of inspired Robot Kills. Mm. That, that song was kind of based, which you did the video for. I did, which we're fast forwarding a lot, but um, you. Wrote this, and what was fresh about it is your verse was fast. It was like outcast. It was choppy. <laughs> was that you say, boy? Haven't you heard a couple? Of, yeah. yeah, it was quick, and it was. Dope. We'll, we're gonna end this the episode with that song. By okay, the way. dope. But um, you nailed it, and everyone when they listen to the record, they'd be like, "Yo, that MNP verse. Who's MNP?" I'm like, "Yeah, but you know, what about the rest of the album?" Everyone wanted to like give me props for putting you on that because you really took it seriously. You came to Stanford and you recorded in the studio, the makeshift closet we had at Colin. So Bay. cool. I loved it. And then because for my sound art class. We actually premiered that song with like eight channels in a room full of speakers that were in a circle that each member, each spur, each speaker had like a different sound. So like the drum and the kick would be like, it was like being in the middle of this crazy mix. We triggered and made an eight part mix that we then wrapped and That's so cool. got a great grade on. I got a great grade on because nice. you came in. I think I got an A plus in that class. The only A plus I ever got in college. Oh, whoa. So that was tight. Sound design. Um, so that was the first MC Lars record. And at that point, there was no label or anything because i hadn't even gone abroad you know so anyway so that was that and um we the meantime you were making all these other videos what you did the bugbear was another one of your movies that was a that's my college thesis film yeah and you won awards for it in a science fiction i won i won for robot island actually oh cool i won third place in the uh seattle science fiction short film festival that's tight that was fun and then we did a song for uh, you did a, a documentary about how lint was made right mm-hmm, yeah brooks and then yeah and i called you up and i thought that it would be we needed a theme song for this because my whole idea was that anything can be interesting if you make a if the if the documentary is entertaining enough it's true it's it's, it's, it's it's you know anything can be boring or interesting depending on how you approach the subject matter i was like i need to pick the most boring thing huh. i can think about and make a documentary about it so i made it about dryer lint and uh so then I called you up and I was like, hey, can you make this song? Oh, we got to tell this story, I think. Well, yeah, I definitely brought up for this story. <laughs> um, this story is ridiculous. So you, you, you can't, and like, I asked you to write a song and the same day you sent me back a demo. Uh-huh. Which, you know, I think I'd had the music chilling, you know. That, oh, that, sure. I'm, I'm sure like you had like, because you, you're always making beats and being but creative. When, when, my, when my soul, like my soul creative inspirational bandmate needs a song for a project, I got to send you quick. No, and it was so good. It was based on your your ideas. And I sent you this rough demo and it was like, and at the end I'm doing like this freestyle about yeah. cutting and killing people yeah, and you stabbing said, you people said, in the yeah, eyes. Yeah, I'm going to lacerate your face <laughs> with my feet, kick your face in half. You are a, a whack, whack MC, MC and you make me laugh like Lint. And, and, like, and I go, there's dead bodies on the lawn. It's like very icy. Yeah, yeah taking a, I want you, the so, Lint, a Lint can make, your, make you take a number two on your parents' lawn. <laughs> All night long, it's so strong. And so I say you this demo, and I was hosting it on the MC Lars like uh, MC Lars server. Yeah. So meanwhile, I hired M- Mike Sapone, who did the Graduate and Lars Attacks, and you know we talked about it on the podcast. He did the big some of the brand new big records and Taking Back Sunday. We did this huge produce, hugely produced version of it that I was hoping you'd use for your video, which I think you did. I did eventually. Once once you sent me, you're like, hey, I got this much better version of it. You mind using which was this. sick. It was so good. And you had like kids on the vocals. Yeah, we had his like- son, his son Santino sang on it. And we got that mixed and mastered and ended up coming out in 21 Concepts, that version. But the demo version, 
There was a kid, Tom, my manager, my former manager had this compilation of kids songs albums. The Bare Naked Ladies were on it, Jason Mraz, like all these people. And um, he, he wanted to give one of his, his clients, MC Lars, a shot. So like, yo, do you have the track? And it was on the server and both were on the server, but I sent Network the link to the demo that I sent you with this violent freestyle. I was like, <laughs> lacerate your face. So Tim, pull up. So this one, we got to pull this up. So this got released and parents bought this CD for the kids, volume three. What's it called? It's for the kids, volume three. It's on Amazon. And um, parents bought this album and uh, they... They were there was a certain song they were concerned about that ended up on this compilation. <laughs> you guys can find this MB3. I didn't I, I I it's not available through any of my stuff, but it is on Amazon. Do you see it? For the kids volume three, MC Lars. Lint. Yeah. We're gonna read some of the parents' <laughs> reviews because I still feel bad about this. I, but someone, to be fair, someone at network should have quality checked the masters that this was not a song to be on the kids. Okay, so this one says, not a song for young children. <laughs> Any kid old enough to be comfortable with highly graphic, humor, quote-unquote, humorous violence of the Black Knight scene in Monty Python, The Holy Grail, will enjoy this song. Towards the end of the song contains the lyric, lacerate your throat and your face, kick your face in this is on Amazon. You guys can find us on Google. But what? they still give they still give the song a four star review. Four out of five, not bad. What's uh, the rest say? It says um, <laughs> the line is meant to mock the types of death threats that often show up in rap lyrics. What? Oh wait, maybe they thought you were like operating on a new level. And it's pretty funny that someone old enough to understand. Pretty funny for someone old enough to understand the context. However, the song appears on a CD called "For the Kids." <laughs> Which features toddler favorites such as the Incy Weensy Spider, Wheels on a Bus. It would be extremely easy for a parent to think a song called the Lint Song is going to be perfectly harmless. And something that a toddler who enjoys Wheels on the Bus might enjoy as well. <laughs> Don't let the title fool you. If you care about your child's exposure to violent subject matter... <laughs> Make sure you listen to the song all the way through before giving it to your kids. Oh, I don't think we've ever laughed this hard on the podcast. It's, I'm sorry. I'm just like, it's, it's, it's just so amazing. Like, it, yeah, it's like, because it's so like, it's just like one of those things, you know, you send them the wrong. Accident. But who didn't proofread? No, yeah. like, did the people not listen to the, the songs before? Nobody, there was no quality control person to listen to the whole album and say, hey, you know that Lint song kind of yeah, has some violent lyrics. By the way, lyrics. why is the mix horrible? And why does it not sound like it's a demo? Yeah. And then I remember all that the guitar is out of tune. It's just sloppy. It's just a mess. But it went out on this. And this album sold like 15,000 copies. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, MC Lars, needless to say, I was not on volume four. <laughs> Are there any more reviews? That's the only one I okay. see. Um, yeah, that's but great. it's specifically for your song, so like that's pretty great. It's <laughs> for the kids, <laughs> volume three. So, uh, oh, out of all, <laughs> <laughs> so but eventually, so eventually, to make a long story short, you did a lot. Of, let's rewind, okay? So okay. <laughs> in fifth grade, one of the things you you like blew me away was the fact that you knew about this lost, rare, weird Al record that I didn't believe existed because I. Fifth grade is when I really got into him and I bought up, I'd save my allowance money and buy all his albums. 
And there was one album he did, which was definitely was not one of his hits. Yeah, it didn't it didn't yeah top the charts or anything. I it don't only think. went gold, not platinum. I know, or right? Yeah, which is very rare for him. And he he's a, he's he's a G. He's always making the he's he's pure hits. Pure hits. Pure he's, hits. He's just he's yeah. And he, he's the best. You had had you'd had Polka Party, and you were telling me yeah, about cause it because because it was like you buy at the supermarket. Cause, yeah, because my parents wouldn't like take me to like music stores like. You know, because it was just to them, it was like a waste of money. But I saw it, and I was like, "Mom, can I please have this? I love Weird Al. Can I have this?" And I didn't have any any weird. I didn't have any Weird Al music, but I knew about him from you. I think. Hmm. And I remember you heard his song "Patterns" on on PBS. Yeah, and and you somehow you had showed me some videos or something of him, which got me interested. And like, no, I think to be fair, you probably had it before you met me, or maybe you said you found it at the supermarket. I don't know. Maybe I did get you into him. I, I don't know. You knew who he was. Um, so. I knew who he was, and I, I, I feel like you probably told me about Al, or like I had heard like people mention like, oh, I'm fat, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But anyway, I, I, I picked it up, and I told you, I told you, I was like, oh, I have this, I love his al- album Polka Party. And I thought you were making this up. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 that's my bad. In fairness, I made up a lot of no stuff doubt. when I was a kid. Well, and then you know, I remember. Okay, so you had Polka Party, and then. You let me borrow it, and I, I gave you even worse, and we and that became part of you know the mm-hmm. fact. That and you, then I and then my tape recorder ate <laughs> your even worse tape, but then I went and bought you a CD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was very sweet of you, man. You 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 bought that CDs were like so expensive, and you bought that. I just CD. felt so bad. Thank you, Tim. I was not um, mad at all about that. But I remember one time, you know, there was this guy Adam Feltz, who then became this rapper called Mostel, who I had at Stanford once, and like. He played a show and it didn't go well. And I was, you know, I was, he wasn't happy. No one was happy. And so <laughs> he, he was always like, he was like this redheaded kid on school. who's was kind of like, not a bully, but kind of like definitely like into rap and kind of like thuggish. And I remember once you, for an 11 year old Jewish kid, and you got in a snap fight with him and you were doing all these punchlines from, from Fat by Weird yeah. Al that you knew and you were just killing and making him laugh so hard. And it was like. That was tight. I knew where your material was from, but Weird Al was always a resonant, like important force in our lives as kids. Oh, absolutely. He was. He he just. He was I, our hero. He still is. Yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> I, I'm so embarrassed about this now, but I remember in eighth grade. This is, I, I was in like woodshop class or something like that. It was either seventh or eighth grade, and I loved the song Taco Grande, by, uh-huh. so I would sing it a lot, and. The Latino kids in my class, they would like, this one guy heard me sing. He's like, well, he's like, what are you singing? And I was like, oh, it's a song of Taco Grande. He's like, oh, hey, sing it for my friends. And so he would like take me around and I, I sang it because it's like they me, me, butchering, me butchering the Spanish language. Right. So they're just seeing this goofy white kid like rapping to Weird Al, but like saying all the silly things that he says in that song. And yeah. they're just, and they're cracking up. And I, at the time, I was like, I'm loving the attention. But then as I got older, I was really like, oh, I was being really offensive. And like, they just thought it was funny watching this white guy was be, he, really he, embarrass himself. Uh, yeah, that, that song has some good lines. Um, <laughs> oh, boy, Pico de Gallo. They sure don't make it like this in Ohio. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, his Spanish is pretty good. Oh, yeah. And that's funny. I didn't know that story. Yeah. You yeah. were, I remember, Tim, you were talking about how you were bullied in middle school. And it always made me feel protective of you that this one kid who always bullied you and you stood up to him one day and he stopped yeah that's was, a great it was, story it was weird well it was, it was sixth grade i'd never been bullied I, i'd been like 
in at Catalina, I was ostracized by all the kids. They didn't like me. I was the stinky, weird kid that nobody liked. Yeah, I can relate, dude. <laughs> and I remember, oh, can I say one thing? Yeah. There's this one girl that you liked and you put a note in her locker and everyone found out about found it. Found out yeah. and was laughing. I thought well, that was so what, brave, what, what it was is I liked this one girl, uh-huh. Gina. I liked oh, her a lot. Comes out. Comes out. I really, it's fifth grade. Yeah. Um. And I really, really liked her. And I told her I liked her at the library. Uh-huh. And she was like, but we're just friends. And so I was like, oh, oh friends. Zone. But, you know, this is like me, you know, fifth grade, you know, just getting hormones and stuff like that. Sure. So then there's other girl, Michelle. <laughs> and so I don't know why I just got it in my head that I liked her. And so I put flowers in her locker and a note in her locker. And once everybody found out, it was like super embarrassing. <laughs> well, But I felt really bad because everybody was... I don't know. Everybody, kids are so mean about that kind of stuff. Well, you know yeah. I mean? I mean, it's like you dare to be brave, you know. You and I and like, I feel like Catholic school, especially where we went, oh yeah, was a lot. It was very repressive. And I remember another thing was we'd formed MNP because there's supposed to be this talent show, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of fifth grade, it was going to be the way we we're going to show ourselves. And we'd written all these songs, and uh, it was all exciting. And our teacher one day in class during the announcement he goes, yeah, by the way, we're not having a talent show this year. So just maybe next year. And yeah, I was like, what the heck? It really, I don't know. It was a lot of crushing disappointments that year. And that now seems kind of like silly and like not to get worked up about is not worth it. But I remember that that was also a spur in my side. Like, well, okay, guess we got to prove ourselves otherwise, mm-hmm. you know? It was just, a, and another thing I remember, God, this is like therapeutic. There was a music, <laughs> we had music class, right? And I love music class so yep. much. And to get on the honor roll, you need to get like A's and B's, right? And I was a great kid, but you couldn't, for your behavior between scales from one to three, like one is good, three is bad. If you have any threes, you can't get on the honor roll. So honor roll. So I got like all A's and one B. And I was like, oh, why didn't I get on the honor roll? Because freaking Miss Nieves. Gave me a three in music class. Why? Because I was so excited and singing off key. You know, that's whack, man. And I was like, I thought I'd show her. So like this year was a very trying year and you were always by my side. But but for for all of their failings as teachers, I think, they did do something really cool, which is they let let me write a play Uh and perform it. That's true. I yeah, for that Christmas. Yeah. They just I was like, I'm gonna write a play. And they're like, all right. And you got to be Santa Claus. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we got to. You're right in the theater, which because your it was, dad it was, was the huge theater. It was your like, dad that, was the drama there was director. No, there was no talent show that year, but we had the. It was a You're big right. Christmas program, and that was like it's like a 500 seat theater. Right, and it was like the the, the, the everything led up to this Polar Express. Yeah, and, and I remember you cast me as Santa Claus, and I come out on the sleigh. Oh, it was the best. And, Everybody loved it. And and the first night, it was two nights. Yeah, the first night was like great, and I, and I was starting to feel like really cocky and happy that you put me in this role as Saint Nick. So the next night, Alf was the kid and I was Santa Claus. Remember mm-hmm. Alf? And so the second night, they, um, like it was more people there and I was like, ooh, I'm going to do a little improvisation. Tim won't mind. My friend wrote the script. <laughs> so so Alf comes out, tells me his stuff and you know, I'm on this giant sleigh and Alf gets off my lap and, and when he's leaving, I go, hey kid. And he looks at me, I go, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I was so proud of myself. Like I really got into the role of Santa Claus. I love it. Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's tight. Yeah, good job. Yo, high five. High five. High five. That was the Creativity. Polar Express. Yeah. You know what? I'm not trying to be salty. My point is that you always you always were there for me. And then 
as I started doing MC Lar stuff, a lot of the first videos you ended up doing. So let's go over the list of the song. Let's try to do it chronologically. Well, I did. Um, I want to say, well, you did White Kids Are Hyphy. Well, the first one I did was Demented Dimension. Oh, I right. did. A, I did a video for Dement, just like on my own. And I that did. was on that was on uh, I think Insectivorous, which was the album I self released in two thousand, which is on the Lar- USB. Lars Horus. Yeah, Lars, Lars Horus. But which, by that, the way, Insect- I got into a film festival in Seattle. That video? Yeah, which is because I wanted to go to this film festival, so I just submitted it. I didn't hear anything back, and then I'm like walking to the film festival, and this guy's walking. He's like, "Oh, are you going to the film festival?" I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, do you have a film in there? And I was like, well, I don't really know. It's like, it's called Demented Dimension. And he's like, is that the one? Like, it's all weird and colorful and you're doing like this with your arms. Yeah. I was like, yeah. He's like, no, you got in. <laughs> Dude, that's cool. And it's just, it's really like, now I watch it and it's like really cringy. But like, it was definitely like, I want, as soon as you started making music, I got it in my head that I wanted yeah, to that's make the first video. videos. I wanted to make videos for you. Well, I guess I had two videos, Insectivorous, which is on my YouTube me mm-hmm. rapping around my parents' house and then yeah, I don't, Dement- I didn't Dimension do is great. And and that album Insectivorous I think holds up it's like as good as, you know, Radio Pet Fencing I'm not a huge fan of other than our song. I think my pitch is all over the place and it's Nothing to Fear is kind of like repetitive. Insectivorous though, I was listening to Bloodhound Gang a lot and I like how it's jazzy and funky and you made the video and then what was the next video after Demented Dimension? Was it White Kids Are Hyphy? In, yeah, in that time period, I think we made some videos together, but they were like unrelated to your music. Sure. We did the thing with, um, we did, oh, the cartel band in the bubble. Yeah. That's phenomenal. That I, that I think that was before White Kids. Yeah, because that was during the period when I was trying to make robot kills. So here's what happened. My, so, cartel. so cartel had done this thing where, you know, they, um, this is a lot of good stories on this episode. Cartel <laughs> had written this album and then Dr. Pepper. Yeah, Dr. Pepper sponsored them to basically like live in like a recording studio, basically, or like a, a house that they could like. In Manha- off Manhattan in this And they could just make music there, all sponsored by Dr. Pepper. And a show, but they demoed everything. They were just doing the final overdubs of the yeah. record. And so. So it was Band Tom, in a Bubble. Band in a Bubble. So Tom had this idea. He's like, you should kind of make fun of this because this is not very punk rock. I was like, okay, Tom. I'm up for this challenge. So you and I made this elaborate video. And you, to be fair, you did most of the work where I realized we're going to make this story where I'm living at home, which I was between records, 24 years old, living at home, making fun of these successful guys. Sorry, cartel. And um, you took it to him too. And so we're in a box. <laughs> and we're in a box. If you haven't seen this guy's Google MC Lars cartel band in a box. It's pretty good. And we do a thing where we're trying to get Mountain Dew to sponsor. So I go into the box my song box with the guitar in the lawn and I and the way you edit it I'm playing the car I go art is difficult art is difficult like I'm being such a baby and um, we make the song and then we call Mountain Dew and try oh and then there's the whole thing where my mom like brings the mail and brings soda and like and you just we, slap it out of her hands you gotta go mom artists are supposed to have dysfunctional relationships with their parents like my mom was a good sport she didn't know we were gonna slap the soda out of her hands but she's just like you know your mom's so sweet. She would just like she she would always go along. We, whenever we would cast your parents in videos, they would always go along with yeah, it. Yeah, our parents were all four of our parents were very supportive. Yeah, you know it's funny. I feel like I feel like every one of our parents except my mom has been in one of your videos in some respect. Right. So white kids are hyphy. That's your dad at the beginning, like yeah, giving me dad. the business. That's dad. And so and so <laughs> so what he had I, no idea what he was saying. And every time I would like feed him the lines, he'd be like, "Tim, I have I have no idea. You don't 
go dumb. He's like, I have no idea what I'm saying right now. All the pe- all the kids on the comments on the video were like, yo, that's Mr. Thompson, our drama teacher. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, but what happened? So we finished this and then I call you and then you're you're the guy at the other line I'm trying to sell it to. And you're like, no, we actually prefer bands with talent. And then we do this thing where we show cartel and we say corporate whores yep. and say this is not good music and they did this song about how they're they're bad and how they're sellouts and yeah your mom got really mad when the corporate whore thing came up she's like andrew <laughs> got really offended that you would like write yeah that. i really i went for the jugular just because i figured i should but you know i'm living at home i can't make my second record my management company's not they're sick of investing money in me graduate hasn't recouped i'm all my friends are getting their phds i was like taking out my anger at like this Felt like this stagnant period in my career, mm-hmm. right? And so, fast forward, this goes live. Then, 2008, uh, Mike Russo, who I'm doing a podcast with, he was our college book- booking agent who sometimes played guitar with us. He got me this dream tour with Young Jock, you know, meet me at the mall, it's yep. going down, and Cartel, and I would open. And it was the most money that I'd ever been offered for any tour. It was crazy. It was like 15 shows. It was just, it was ridiculous. And we're just about to get, get the tour. And then Cartel's manager calls, <laughs> <laughs> finds the video, finds the video, and calls Concert Ideas. And Mike picks up. He happens to intercept the call. He goes, hello. And and they're like, yeah, we saw this Cartel video. Uh, MC Lars is not going to be on this tour. And Mike goes, well, you know, Crocs really wants Lars, which is not true. There was, he was only, I'm only on the tour because it was a favor to Mike. And Mike, inter- God bless him, intercepted the calls. Like, well, I'll talk to him. I think he's on the tour. And anyone else he said had picked up the phone, I wouldn't have gotten that tour. So oh. I get the call from Mike. Mike calls me. He goes, well, Lars, you knew this day was coming. <laughs> and I was so dumb. I should When I knew I was going to maybe get the tour, I should have put the video, at least made it private or unlisted. Yeah. So we made it private. And then we're on the tour. And we're talking to some of those guys afterwards, after the first show. And one of the guys just goes, he goes, well, Lars, you're on a corporate-sponsored tour sponsored by crocs welcome to the sellout train <laughs> and then there was a some members they were drinking whiskey with a dr pepper bottle okay. and will from cartel comes on the bus he goes dr pepper huh that stuff will really ruin your career and then walks off and my bass player is like he had to think about it for a minute and he just started laughing they had a good sense of humor about it and yeah i would run into those guys on warp tour and like at festivals That's and it was funny. always like and once I said to Will, I said, dude, I'm sorry about the video, man. I'm sorry. And, and he said, he looked at me all mad. He goes, it's okay. He was not, you know, the dude's really nice. And that dude can sing and they rocked. So. Yeah, that, but come on. Like, they didn't know you and you didn't know them. It's like. And I was. Every, they're a public figure. If they, if they can't, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Come on. And right. if, you, if you're going to take that kind of stuff seriously. I don't know. They're I, good guys. They, I don't think they were actually. Yeah, exactly. Mad. That's what I'm saying. Their team think, wasn't trying to have me tour yeah. them though. You know? Yeah, and I but I think that's that's cheesy. They should uh, they they should they should revel in that. Mike, you're right, and everyone was uh, was saying they were that popular stuff. enough that like some people, other people are making jokes. About well, that it. was the thing because like back then it was like having a major label and having money behind you and stuff was you know you needed that it helped, but they were very much like aware of I don't know that their fa- I'm sorry their fans were like this is a very oh, they're on the militia group which was a big label which also had their subsidiary Sideshow had put out the laptop EP. So I was connected to them through that too. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the video got got a lot of views, which was tight. That's pretty tight. Um, okay, so then you did White Kids Are Hyphy, which we which filmed around the Robot Bay. Robot Kills. Which you did with Odin. Yeah, yeah, my buddy Odin, who's a, who's a great music video director. He's directed videos for Cool, cool Keith, Keith. Um, Motion Man, who's ba- also Bay Area. 
thing, and that, that video had had uh, Gift of Gab in it from Black Alicious. Odin's awesome. He did the tri- um, he did, edited the Triforce video eventually. Mm-hmm. He's done, yeah. He's done um, DJ Newmark videos. Like he's done a lot. He's he's, he's done dope. stuff with um. He's dope. What's the label that uh, Mayor Hawthorne is on? Yeah, he did tons of videos for Mayor Hawthorne. Yeah, yeah. And so and so that video is just the concept, just like was- doing the camera and stuff for Mayor Hawthorne tour. And he, they did like a lot of promo. He he like shot a lot of the promos. Odin's for that. chill, and he's got a very good perspective. Yeah. And there's two versions of White Kids Aren't Hyphy. I forget which version ended up. On yeah, the- yeah. Well, because like uh, there's the one with like the story where I put like my dad in it, and yeah. then I have like my my friends out in Prunedale like spinning their tires of their pickup trucks. And then Odin just kind of took that out and just turned it all into performance, just just as like a version. You, I think he asked though, but I think it was yeah. like it's just a version that he put on his website that because he didn't like all the the stuff silly I added. Stuff. Yeah, and then but um, yeah, I like the silly. Stuff. But then you spent two years on what is still one of the greatest videos I think's ever made, and you stop motion created this crazy video for Robot Kills. Well, yeah, because you hit me up. And that video is, dude. That video. Let's just let's just take a second to think about how great that video is. You really. <laughs> That's kind of you. You to took say. years and you killed it. Well, it was funny because like we started and you had done the song with Suburban Legends, uh-huh. and, uh huh, and MC Bat Commander did. But the fir- the version I heard MC Mac that first be- MC Bat Commander was not in it. Okay. It was it was just uh, Vince from. Uh, Suburban, Suburban Legends. Legends. Yeah, because because Christian Bat Commander was you know he was real busy. Yo Gabba Gabba was popping off, and I was like, dude, I need you to do this. And he didn't realize it was a ska song. So at first he he wasn't super stoked because he wanted to do something different. Yeah. So but he killed it, man. Shout out to that guy. Oh, it's, it's his verse is great. That's and, my. But what's interesting yeah. though is before before that version existed, we were gonna shoot a video, and the video was gonna be like big like after effects but it was going to be like you them basically it was going to be suburban legends in in the record store and your you your head which i shot you on a green screen if you remember definitely and you were gonna your head was gonna pop up in all these different so we're gonna take all these different iconic ska albums and put your face on all of them as they were small like running over yeah the and so i shot this video at this place called buffalo records in ventura uh-huh because my friend worked there and so she she hooked me up with like being able to shoot there all afternoon and i shot with a, a, a few members of suburban legends and they and, drove up from anaheim mm-hmm. which is like three hours mm-hmm. and then i got and then i got it home and i got all the footage home and i looked at it shot on the hvx uh-huh and i look at it and my heart just sinks I'm like, this is just not a good video. I, like it just it it wasn't the quality of what I shot was not what I wanted the video to be. And I was just I was like I didn't get enough coverage and I didn't get a stuff. So I got really sad and down on the video. And then I just I don't know what it when it was, but I was thinking about it. it's like well how can I salvage this? Right. You know what can I do to make this work? And I thought of I was like well what if I shot all that footage of Andrew doing the song. Instead of like trying to do After Effects, which I was not good at at the time, I'm still not very good at After Effects. I was like, instead of trying to do that, what if I just did some stop animation? And I didn't know. I had never seen videos like this, but I assumed that like, well, if you print out an image sequence uh-huh. and put your face, you know, 24 frames a second down. Wow, that's why it looks so good. Then maybe it would look the same. Maybe it maybe it would sync up. So I did a small test. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, it does sync up. And so then I think I just called your email. I was like, hey, can I just like, 
can you just like let me just make a video and just trust me that it's going to be dope? Uh, <laughs> I think I just called you as like, just trust me, let me make this video. Uh-huh. And then this I, was this was already like a year in because like it up to, up to the point of shooting that video and having that and me finally coming up with the concept was a year in. And so I took the whole next year to do this, which is basically I just turned my 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 closet at the time. I lived in this tiny little apartment, which didn't have a living room in Koreatown. In Koreatown, and I there was this makeup closet that supposedly like used to be it was like a 1920s apartment, and I just turned that into this little studio. And, the and you whole, went hard for a year. Yeah, because I would my my whole idea was like, it's like what Billy built a robot in his parents' garage, and like he sits in the 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 line that really got into my head was Billy sits back in the class and laughs with a notepad on his lap. As he plans the task. And I was like, what if the whole video is Billy's notebook? Oh, genius, dude. And I was like, that would be cool. And then it's like, it's one angle. And then all I have to do is animate it. And I was in my, in my head, I was like, oh, that'll be easier (laughs) to do it. And then it was not, but it, but it, I learned a lot from it and um, I had a lot of fun. And I think what was cool and what, because I had done a little, to go back to Lint, I had done some animation on Lint, very rudimentary, but uh-huh. I remember liking it. And I'd done some animation in college as well. And I was like, oh, I wonder if animation is something I could get into. And then when I finished this video, I, it felt like, even though it took so long, I definitely felt like a sense of ownership to it. And like, I like like the handmade aesthetic of yeah, it. Yeah, no one makes videos like that. Because it, I think because it takes too long. Well, and then here's what happened. So I was, <clears throat> I was in Cape Cod with John, my drummer, and our producer Joe and um, and another friend and we were watching Real World or something or, or Jersey Shore and you texted me the video's done and I wrote back cool because I was so excited but on my phone I actually had another O in it so you got cool you got C-O-O-L and I just wanted to go on the record and say I'm sorry like I was so excited to watch it and then I remember we put it on the projection screen for everyone who was staying in this house and everyone just their jaws dropped like this is the coolest thing we have ever seen and I called you and you had put so much time in it you were disappointed because you felt like my that was my verdict on it, right? That I said, like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> right? How did that go down? Yeah, I was a little bit. I was like, oh, I was like, oh. Because you'd put a year in this and like you done that, it You know what? That, but that, happen, that happens with every artist you send a video to. I've found out when you when you send them the video, their response is never what you think it's going to be. It's well, always, I told it's always, you how phenomenal it was. No, no, no. You, you, it just, it's just like when I read that text, like it's kind of, the, it was similar to the text of other artists I've worked with who like, they're like, oh, cool. <laughs> like, I was like, oh. Like it's, oh, it's cool. It's good. No, it's genius. And it's so genius. <laughs> That's very nice of you to that, say. No, dude, it was so genius that a mutual friend, uh, someone else I worked with on that record, saw it, a man named Alfred Matthew Yankovic. And that, <laughs> you know, he emailed me. and His, me- his middle name is Matthew too? Yeah. That's, That's interesting. That is interesting. That's Jason's middle name. That's interesting. Um. Who, by the way, I saw I saw Al today. It was kind of tight. Oh, that's cool. And so hung out with him. Got to got to have some lunch with my boy. And uh, <laughs> anyway, that was tight. So um, he emailed me. He's like, "Hey, who? How do I get in touch with Tim Thompson? Because I love the Robot Kills video, and Crazy. I can't find any information on how." And to that was like two years after I made that video. Yeah, because Al was like looking on the internet for artists he'd worked with who had cool visuals, and he, so he hit you up, and you made. A video for his Grammy-winning number one album, Lame Claim to Fame, which was presumably one of the first videos he commissioned to start for that album. Yeah, because he, I think he knew it would take a long time, so he he commissioned it early. And uh, yeah. And that video has collectively, what, two million views almost? I think it has more. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. I think it's like over three, at least three. And he thank you in the 
mandatory fun liner notes. And he thanked yeah. me too for like, because I helped on the set with it. So cool. That was dope of him. Yeah, Thank no, you, he's Al. so nice. Yeah. And time back because you mentioned Real Big Fish earlier. Real Big Fish's manager, Vince Pelleggi. Vince Pelleggi, so awesome. One of the coolest dudes ever. Yep. Um, because I had done a Real Big Fish video, he, um, he, I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, um, it's, I, I, I don't really have much of a budget for the, this Al video, but can I use your, uh, your soundstage because he has a soundstage down in Riverside. And so, and you, so yeah, so we got, so Al came down and, um, Bermuda and yet yeah, Bermuda Schwartz came down and they filmed their parts with us in, in Riverside. Thanks to Vince with all, all his equipment. And Vince is just, he's just so generous. He was just so generous. And the, you have in your room here, you have a painting, which is a cow that was the cow that I used to draw in mm-hmm. fifth grade when we would talk about Weird Al. Yeah, and, and I wanted joke. you to, I want, yeah, exactly, because I feel like when I first learned about Weird Al was you back in the cow days when you would say moo and you would draw cows all the time. And that cow was Horace originally. And you, and I asked you to, and I asked for Weird Al, this thing, I was like, well, I'm going to do this scene and it's kind of like a reference to Jan Svankmeyer's movie Food and I and it's it's like people animation. It's like Al's going to slide in the door and like, yeah. and I wanted to have your art in there somewhere because I felt like it fit because he's like wearing overalls and he looks kind of frumpy. And I was like, it's got to be your cow. Your your cow has to be in there. So. And the first thing he comes on the set, he's looking around. He's like so impressed. You build it. And he goes, oh, some original art up there. And you told him the story. And he was yeah. like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, just to be on the set with you as you directed our childhood hero and like what to do and got him feedback. Like that was a magical day. I'm so glad I could be there for that. And you just really knocked out of the park. And the fact that he deferred to you and was you know he bought us all Thai food and he was just like yeah no he was he was really great and he kind of like you know he was very nice and you know because you know when you work on a crew like sometimes the crew say really embarrassing things and so but he was like he was just very friendly and we're obviously all fans yeah. everyone you know want to work out a weird out video okay yeah it was, it was like crew. it was like my friend um Andrew Koch worked on that yeah he's he got on America's Got Talent he's part of like this the big there's a big choir oh really was on America's Got Talent so he's but he he came out and helped and my friend Kiff came out and helped yeah and it was really nice and then it was a the day went really smooth the day was really great but then I also got a film at my apartment I got a film with um Jim and Steve yeah Jim and Steve and Dr. Dr. Demento (laughs) and Dr. Demento comes to the apartment we're pulling up and um with his hat and his outfit. Do people people don't know we lived together? This is when you lived oh, with me. Oh, I lived with Tim for a bunch of years. <laughs> I lived with after the first Warp tour until like 2014. Yeah. Off and on, I was your whoa. I was your roommate. Ouch. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. I, I was your roommate in uh in West LA. So cool. Which is some of the happiest so memories cool. of my life, man. And like we were just making art all the time, but also driving each other crazy. And I would do this thing like juice garlic and juice random food and just drink it and then see how much pain I could be in. I remember the first thing you tried to juice was bananas and there's like no juice comes out of bananas and you just like gummed up your nice new yeah. juicer on <laughs> this banana gunk and then you just started putting tons of garlic in it and the next day you came out and you're like, Tim, I shouldn't have juiced all that garlic. I just, I had a horrible night. My my stomach was hurt so bad. <laughs> we were just, we were just, yeah, I was living off the money I made on Warp Tour and, and you were doing all these projects in the Weird Al video. It was kind of like our 11-year-old memories i don't know it was fun man i really look at those moments finally when i can come down and visit you it's like it's really fresh yeah so it's cool it's good to have you back in the in the apartment yeah and then thanks dog and then you did a real big fish video after that no, no before. that was before that was actually how i got it it's funny because like vince vince is very like um 
I don't know. I don't know if the word is intuitive, but like he he kind of like he's insightful and like he, he's been their only manager, which is kind of great. I mean, he's great. He's he's in the sell out video. He's like one of the best parts of it. He's like the smarmy like business dude. That's, yeah. I love it. And uh, he's just he's just but he's such a sweetheart. And you know, Vince almost managed me. For, I had had meetings with him after I left network. And um, he's great. He's a great guy. Yeah, almost yeah, almost signed a deal with him. But we we both decided nah not to. That's but, okay. But we're homies still. Yeah, he's great. He's he's really. We had done that real big fish video because I had worked with a band that you I think Orange. went up to an Orange. Sure. Joe with Joe Joe Dexter. Shout out to Orange, who I toured Joe, with, so cool. with Zebrahead. Yeah. We Joe and I almost did a video not too long ago, but it just timing and things just didn't work out, unfortunately. But um we I've done two video two videos for Orange. So you met Real Big Fish through Orange. Through Orange, yeah, because I did two videos for Orange. And then and, this Real Big Fish videos don't stop skanking. Yeah, and they toured with Real Big Fish, and they're like, "We need a new video," because um, up to that point, Vince had been directing all their videos, which are which are fine. They're 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 really funny. Did and Vince direct Sellout? I don't think he directed Sellout, but he directed okay. like a bunch of their most more recent videos. I actually don't know if he did or not. Um, but he directed a bunch of their other videos. But Vince was like, "Yeah, we want some new blood. We want we want to like switch it up just because I've been directing all the videos up to this point, and like I wanted to do something different." So he just we just met up, we talked, and once I told him the concept, he liked it, and then he just handed me a check, and then we just filmed out in this place called Cowtown in Riverside. Yeah, but, that video. But awesome. they, yeah, they heard about. It's funny because like I, I hear I get these vi- music video gigs just word of mouth from other people who've made music videos with me, which is kind of fun. It's just like you know, like I, Orange heard about me from you, and then Real Big Fish heard about me from Orange. Well, the, the, what, what this shows is you do great work. You show up. Your reputation precedes you, you know. I mean, and Weird Al, yeah. If like if you hadn't done busted your butt for a year doing Robot Kills, you know what I mean? Like, because Orange, we're all connected, right? And like, you really you worked hard, Tim, and like you still do, and you make amazing work, and you're Thank brilliant, you. and like you have your best work ahead of you. I know that. Thank you very much. I think I, I kind of feel like you do too. I feel like there's a lot of really creative ideas that you have that we've talked about, and like I'm really excited to see where you're trajectory is going as well you know it's just fun to like thank you I, th- I don't know it's like it's exciting to like it's you know i don't think i imagine this kind of where i would be in my life when i was young you know i probably en- envisioned a lot m- bigger level of success for myself but i think i don't know i just think it's cool that we're both doing creative things and we're both yeah and we both never gave up on that we both never settled for like the the regular life we sort of lived the the art artsy you know creative life instead. the month by month artsy <laughs> month to month you know but Tim I mean we paycheck uh, to paycheck I think this like this we can start wrapping up this podcast but like it's because we had each other you're like my brother I never had and you know what I mean and you and then also DJ like my two my two best friends and who are both artistic soulmates that. I wouldn't have done MC Lars if it wouldn't if it hadn't been me- for meeting you, and we wouldn't have had those great videos. And like, you know, we wouldn't have we. I wouldn't be. Amphoteric taught me about booking shows and arranging, and you know what I mean. And like, the happiness, the sadness, and it all goes back to Jason. Jason is through. I feel like through our creativity and through our joy and through what we do, we kind of keep his memory alive. Mm-hmm. You know, there was like this thing that was missing, and art was the frantic special thing that kept us going and kept us together and it's why you know like i think it's why we always i think if we had ever 
I think it's the reason why we never completely lost touch because I think we'd sure. always want to check in at a certain point because we had that connection to him. Sure. So I think that's probably what kept us keep coming back. Imagine if he lived, we maybe would have grown apart. And I, I do think about that sometimes, like yeah. if you know, like that whole the whole sliding doors kind of concept of like where you know, there's an where would life take you? I don't think I don't know if you've seen it, but you know, Violent J's brother Jump Steady writes and directs like short films. That's so awesome. And there's this, this psychopathic theater DVD that came out. It's called like Tales from the Dark Carnival. And there's a story he has where. It's each one is based on different songs. Like there's a boogie woogie woo one about these kids getting a zombie one. There's a mad professor one about this guy who's who's uh, who creates this beast, you know. But there's one he they do on their on ICP's Joke Your Mind, which is like an old song, and it's a story of this guy who lives two lives: one where he ends up marrying this woman, and one where he his friend lives forever. And there's and and at the end of the movie, like I'll just spoil it, but if you don't want it spoiled, fast forward through this part. He is talking to his. He wakes up from a dream. He's talking to his wife about his friend, and his and his wife says, "You know, your friend died in a car accident. He's not real." But through the whole video, you think he's with he's with his friend talking about this girl who he got married to, and it's like two very different realities. And you realize that like he couldn't have both. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like it's very philosophical. You know, Jump is a great writer and. Think about that. Like, of course, I would love to have Jason. We sure. definitely prefer to have Jason than than, than any than of the MC Lodge stuff. Yeah, I would definitely love to have him back. But yeah, but it's yeah, it's it's interesting to 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 think about. Like, well, I mean, because part of me is like, well, would you would you have pursued art as hard? That's I don't a know. that's an interesting question. Like, would or would you have just said, well, maybe I'll just do something sensible? Because yeah. he was definitely because you know, I mean, like there, his influence. He was definitely like his dad was like do sensible things, you know, go to college, you know, get an education, sensible job. He probably would have had he probably would have had a sensible job. Yeah, and and he would have been great at it because he's he was a uh, super smart. But he would have been like he would have had like a great blog or a some, really cool YouTube channel. Yeah, it would have been amazing if he had, if he had been a writer or something, you know, like he probably could have been. He just he he had such a tumultuous life. You know, it's something that brings everything back is back to like interesting closing point is he had a copy of this book called communion which was about these that it became it's by the guy who wrote fire in the sky i have it here i have that copy you have a copy of it and it's full of jason's notes and jason jason was the otherworldly out of this world kind of guy and i was interesting talking to mike russo my and he loved those books about true life aliens. He loved the X Files. Yeah, I have another one called Aliens Among Us. That was Jason's. Yeah, it was yeah. also Jason's. Mike is uh, Mike is uh, like really into that alien stuff too, and like he was mentioning those books, <coughs> and it was like interesting that one of the first videos you did was Lars Attacks. Oh yeah, Innovation I did Lars Attacks. Yeah, yeah. Which is, by the way, uh, an unsung great of the I catalog. Th- I think we poured a lot into that video, and I think I licked that- a fish. I put in painful contacts. Oh, dude, you were, yeah. The teeth hurt my gums, man. And oh, I think that video was just like a big departure from what I anyway. Yeah, but exactly. I, I, that's what I want. And we put it, it was on Blank TV premiered it as well as my channel, which split the views. I don't know. I but don't regret making that video. It's you great. know what? It's, I think, I think at some point when people are looking retrospectively at, at your career, I think that video is going to come back. I'm like, people go, damn, this video is really good. And you got <laughs> like our, some of our female friends were volunteered to be like abducted by the alien yeah no i think it has a lot going for it for especially for such a like a, a small video you it's like that one, we, we we did so much and we just like poured our energy into it and people let us use their 
garages. My uncle's and, dentist office. You did surgery on me. The yeah, autopsy. so great. I think uh, it looks it looks great. It it for you know for just you know throwing stuff together. A the Russian like language like it's found uh, footage. Yeah, right. And a lot of people are, we definitely messed up the translation because a lot of people have commented on the video like that doesn't what does that mean? <laughs> it means Russian music videos will always be necessary. Yeah, I think I think there's always like a desire to sort of like see some see sort of like a visual interpretation of a song. You know what I mean? And like there's I mean like music videos can cover the gamut. They can be performance or they can be like just like lyric videos or they can be like really bizarre sort of like um surreal like Salvador Dali level, Demented you know, super, super creative, super bizarre, super I think yeah, and didn't what speaking of Salvador Dali, well, I know we're wrapping up, but didn't he live at Santa Catalina where he went to school? Yeah, that's the that's buildings? the rumor. That's the rumor is that yeah, I think just, it was before it was Santa Catalina. Did some inappropriate stuff there. I don't know if he didn't need anything inappropriate. He just had a lot of parties. Is that inappropriate? No, that's just I think that's just Hello him having, Dolly. His, him just, just having fun. And he would have a lot of crazy parties. What's good? And he had like a studio there and he would paint there apparently. And that was in Monterey. I, that's the rumor. That's what they say. There's one house that's and they say it I want to say it predates the Hacienda there. It, uh-huh. it predates the sort of like the the school and the architecture that grew up around there. Maybe there's somebody in the air from Dolly though who inspired us, right? I mean, that's kind of interesting that he worked. He, he would have worked near where we went to. School. Yeah, I mean, Dolly has always been a favorite of mine. Like, I, I like his stuff, you know. And I think growing up in in a very religious family, you know, you definitely see his religious iconography is like so awesome. And I think, yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt that it had some sort of an effect because. He's just so out there, and I love it. And he, he, I don't know if you know this, but he also made a film. Yeah, he um, did. Yeah, Unchen Andalu, which I want to say was with Bunuel. You, we didn't touch on this. You have such a knowledge of film history and like so many great. If movies. I got that wrong, then that won't. It won't be. You're won't on Letterboxd <laughs> too, right? What's your Letterboxd? I think it's just movies, Tim. Yeah, yeah. Follow him on Letterboxd. Let's end with Escape from Robot Island. This song was kind of like also how it felt in college sometimes where everyone was very much focused on law school and med school and now they're all millionaires and they're laughing at me. But they that Robot Island felt like Stanford a little bit. Like everyone, you know what I mean? And it was escape from this island of these robots. I don't mm-hmm. know. That was kind of my vibe on 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 that a little bit. I don't know. I I just saying like this song was about wanting to get off campus and be done with college. Yeah, it was it was it was fun. I I remember that weekend very fondly. And we went to a party and then we didn't we run into who did we did we run into Fred Savage or did we run into the kid from Boy Meets World? Who did we run into? Uh the kid from Boy Meets World which is Ben Savage. Ben Savage. Fred yeah. Savage's brother. Yeah. Because he was a <laughs> He was in a dorm. He was in a house with my. That was that Chuck. same weekend when we did Robot Kills, I think. And I was trying to give him a Lars Horse sticker, and he wasn't trying to take it. Yeah, but because he, he'd know where to put it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's crazy. You spent a lot of time at Stanford. Yeah, it was fun to always come and visit you and and DJ and your roommates and your friends. Yeah, you got. They were like at some point they thought you were a student there. I <laughs> I love that you would go down to the kitchen and just like pile your plate high with mushrooms. Like legal mushroom, legal, legal. I like no, like like it was a vegetarian house. Column Bay, right? You right, lived, right, right, you lived right, right. in a vegetarian thing, and they and you would just like, I love mushrooms, and you could <laughs> just go down and get all a plate of them. Yeah, that was a cool thing. It was like a buffet of vegetarian food. That was actually pretty dope. And we'd have to cook. And I remember the night I cooked. Oh god, this podcast is so long. This will be the last one. The night you I can co- chop it up. I cooked was um after everyone brought out the meal, you'd bring around the porch and everyone would clap, right? So I um 
It was my night, and I didn't plan, so I just made a big thing of spaghetti, and then just microwaved some, uh, threw some salad together, and microwaved these like tortilla shells, and was putting the spaghetti in the tortilla shells with ketchup. <laughs> I call it a spataco, and I was making those for everyone, and and everyone. <laughs> Gave them to everyone, and they were all sitting on the porch, like looking like really sad at their vegetarian food, and no one cla- clapped. So I just, I just started clapping for the meal, and I got everyone to. No, it was yeah. I I I left Colin Bay because people weren't feeling me there, and I wasn't feeling it. So I went to England and did start doing the MCLR stuff. So I applied for the overseas program, so I didn't have to stay in the dorm. Heck, heck yes, that's just, that's a tangential story. Tim, I love you, dog. I love you too, buddy. Hope we can make videos forever. You're working on video for the Mega Ran record. Yeah, I can't wait. We'll, we'll talk it, more it, about that. It's dope. Maybe it's a this dope song. Maybe we'll drop this like when that video drops that week. That'll be cool. That'll be hot. This is Escape from Robot Island from Radio Pet Fencing. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Peace. Kicking it across the bay When we went straight to that island On that moment to stay To explore, not ignored Like Christopher C Emmett P and Lars H Pioneers adrift at sea And so we went ashore Knowing not what was in store Till there came a crazy noise That we could not ignore Fourteen Robo-Primus They came straight for us Nasty and ugly Like a zit brimming with pus So we hopped into our boat Hoping it would float Till we found a Robo-Monkey Had chewed it like a goat And a big hole remained At the bottom of a craft As it began to sink The Robo-Creatures laughed Then out of the woods Came more robots by the dozens Daddies, mommies, aunts and uncles Grandpas, grandmas and cousins Whole Robo-Families Thirsting for blood Vampiric evil machines Kicked in oil, grease and mud Escape from Robot Island We'll take them to the desert Trip the circuits and fry them Can't stay in Robot Island These robots are maniacal Let's beat them up and hide them Get out of Robot Island Don't wanna be your robo Lunch your robo can't food blend Delete Robot Island You evil R2-D2s Now it's time to meet your end What's that you say boy Haven't heard Come me stupid I swipe off the bird I wanna smack you right now In the face But the lock on me Stuck in this place Today has been a scary day These robots They don't wanna play Their bodies are metallic gray Their wires look like plastic These robots chased us Through the night Everybody knows that I put up a fight To the different kinds They blow my mind Giant eyeball watching me Read my mind They're everyone's blades Coming out of the fur Robots are in chariots Like the her Time that will toss you In a chasm Balls will three like in phantasm Tall ones, short ones, round ones, long ones, little ones, green ones, right ones, wrong ones. Batters not include these things. Attack. Model ZX goes for your sack. Big middle teeth ain't too friendly. Mechanical death, that's not for me. All the different doomsday machines, we have to stop them with livid. I mean, they have their cold metallic arts. Soulless, just like Kincaid's art. We need to learn the plate apart. Getting out alive is where we'll start. Save ourselves, see that as the mission. Like I'm running from the permanent uncle by Grisham or Tommy Knockers by Mr. King. On the run, and this ain't no dream. Escape from Robot Island. We'll take them to the desert, trip the circuits, and fry them. Can't stay. In Robot Island These robots are maniacal Let's beat them up and hide them Get out Of Robot Island Don't wanna be your robo Lunch your robo Can't food blend Delete 
Robot Island You evil R2-D2s, now it's time to meet your end Out on the treehouse floor, evil bots knocking at the door. We climbed up here to get away, and we've been stuck all night and day. We built a gun, quadruple barrel, quiver filled with acid arrows. There was a chainsaw that we found, like ash, we wheeled it around. We used it like a robot shank, little did we know the chain would break. We had a copper melting pot filled with oil, very hot. It burned right through the wooden planks. They climbed up and they said thanks. They want violence on harmless pranks. Run, Lars, run just like Tom Hanks. Foolish humans, time to die. We've done everything that we can do. It's up to me, now it's up to you. The arrows, we still have those. Let's fire them, see how it goes. Foolish humans that won't work, we'll get you both, prepare to hurt, your blood will drip, your blood will spurt, and you'll be six feet under dirt. So this is what it feels like being the prey, the early bot gets the human or so they say. Wait, it's time to die, I don't wanna go yet, I never went to Russia or owned a private jet, I never kissed a lion or went bowling nude, I've never gone hang gliding or had hamster food. But pull yourself together man, you're getting me annoyed, let's not go out and shame, let's go out shooting droids, you forgot about my Remington, take two my Smith and Wesson, my aim is next to perfect, let's teach these things a lesson, stop, no. shoot, yes I'm about to do it. Go! Ah, nice, but we're not halfway through it. There's 800 more, and you've only got two bullets. If anyone can make it, MMP and Lars can do it. You're right, MMP. Let's overcome our fears. Machines will run humanity like twisted engineers. Escape from Robot Island. We'll take them to the desert, trip the circuits and fry them. Can't stay in Robot Island. These robots are maniacal. Let's beat them up and hide them. Get out of Robot Island. Don't want to be your robo. Lunch your robo. Can't food blend. Delete. Robot Island, you evil R2-D2s, now it's time to meet your end. Escape from Robot Island. Escape from Robot Island. Escape from Robot Island. Escape from Robot Island. Thank you, Timothy. Escape from Rhode Island, that was on Radio Pet Fencing. And if you support the Patreon, hey, you get to download it. That album isn't available anywhere. So uh, that was that. Thanks for coming to see us on the tour. Like I said, nerdcoretour.com for dates. The Mount Nerdcore Tour with Mega Ran, MC Frontalot, and Schaefer the Dark Lord. And guess what? Next week? Yeah, you bet. A lot of people have been asking about this guest. I sat down with Whitey Cracker. And we went over all of our history, his involvement in Nerdcore, our touring, our projects. We speculate on a Digital Gangster Part 2. We talk about his new life as a baller in Beverly Hills, as a father, as a musician, as a DJ, as an advocate of wearing flip-flops on stage. <laughs> we love Whitey Cracker. So that's next week. If you like the podcast, please leave a review. My, I'm trying to direct the reviews to iTunes. So even if you bump this on another platform, if you go to podcast.mclars.com, that takes you right to the iTunes page. And tell a friend. And uh, yeah, even if you hate the podcast, tell me. I mean, <laughs> I prefer if you don't hate it, but any, any review is great. Um, I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank my friends for putting out with my corny jokes in the tour van. And I want to thank y'all for supporting these projects. Dewey Decibel System drops first Friday of June. We're dropping a new single every month. We just did a video for 1984. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And basically... It's very joyful. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone.